Hi, Sarah. Can you believe we're still here? <laughs> that's the new theme of our show. Right. Can you believe this? You know, that's really funny because like I'm going out on, you know, these dates and everything and they'll like ask me like, oh, so what do you do? And then like, I don't right. know which is worse. Do I, I lead with, I'm a therapist right. or do I lead, like a marriage and family therapist? And then the inevitable question is like, oh, so like, you know, right. are you going to be like, you know, whatever, thinking diagnosing me or blah 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 yeah or there do i say i'm a podcast host and then i go have to say but like a real one not like one where i record (laughs) in my parents basement which i've said like 17 times and then they go they go oh well i mean like like one guy i was like you know, like a real podcast, like not like not one that I like record in my parents' basement. He was like, even that would be cool. Aww, and I was like, well, that's, that's sweet. sweet answer. Oh my god! But I was like, no, it, like a real one, because now like everybody has a podcast, and I have to be like, we have like hundreds of episodes. We have yeah, Law and Order episodes, right? And we're just as surprised as everyone else. Totally, we're shocked too. We can't <laughs> believe it either. And as a matter of fact, this is episode three fifty nine. With no signs of slowing down. None. Zero. Speeding bullet train. Look out and get out of the way. Or just hop on and enjoy the ride with us. Yeah. Just accept it. We're not going away. Right. We're here. We're sort of queer. Get used (laughs) to it. (laughs) Welcome to the show, everyone. I am a bit under the weather. Oh, Suze, I'm sorry. You do sound like you have a little throat tickle. Yeah. I don't... You don't look it. Oh, thanks. Sarah, um, it's like my annual thing where I get gross um, and cough up a lung, and yeah, and, and it's then the move changing on. seasons. Yeah, I guess seasonal Maybe. changes. Yeah, do you in every time? So that's like the time of year you get sick is right around now. I think my theory is that it's because Lincoln goes back to school. That and, was going to be my theory yeah. too. I think yeah, you're right. It's by all those little seven year old germs. Yeah, and then and you then, get them. Yeah, then there's an infestation. My friend, my friend Dave had it was uh, like dating this girl, or still is, I think, uh, and she worked at a preschool or worked as a nanny or something like that, and she got an ear infection from the kids that they misdiagnosed as bacterial when it was really fungal, and when you like treat something that's a bacterial disease, yeah. but it's a, it makes it grow even more. Oh no! So like she got tinnitus of the ear. Oh She's Lord. like like having dizzy spell, like had to be hospitalized. Come on. From a freaking kid's dirty finger going in her ear. (laughs) Dirty finger. Is that really how it happened? Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, something like that. That's what Dave said. He's like, you know, she's around all the kids all the time. Probably some kid licking their finger and sticking it in her ear. Oh, God. That's awful. Mm -hmm. And that's an example of you got to be smarter than your doctor. No joke. And yes. And like she had to be hospitalized and have her ear drained for like days. And they were saying, like, you know, what if she loses her hearing in that ear? That's, like, the worst. So, of course, the next 48 (laughs) hours after that, I was convinced I had an ear infection. I'm like, oh, what's this? What's this pain in my ear? Turns out it was just a zit. (laughs) That was bad timing. Real bad timing. I go real catastrophic with my thoughts. But I digress. I'm glad you're okay. Yep. Glad she's okay, Um, too. (laughs) Right. Could that have been fatal? Uh, yes, I think so. Right. At least, like, really damaging to her, her, like, do some permanent damage there. Yeah. I really sure. get, I read a story this morning about one of the uh, little girl in Texas who got one of those brain eating amoebas in her. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it's just, uh, 
people get it when they swim in freshwater lakes yep. in the U.S. And it's just like, why? Why does this happen? Why are they there? Oh and why are we going in those fucking lakes? My Linda? mom's friend, right? Freaking hey, Linda. My mom's <laughs> friend, my mom's friend's daughter got the flesh-eating bacteria on her leg. And no, had to have what a significant happened? Chunk taken out. Like it's like a whole <gasps> part of it that had to be like carved away. Okay, that is maybe that's you know my I came new... back from that trip with uh, infection <laughs> on my leg that I had to call my friend Heather and be like, "This is flesh-eating bacteria." And then she got my friend Heather as a doctor. Shout out to Heather. And she got all excited, I can tell, when I said that. And then she was, like, disappointed that I didn't have it. <laughs> it was just a rash. She was like, oh, it's just infected. Put some cream on it and you'll be fine. And she was like, don't, t- don't get me excited about flesh-eating bacteria if it's just going to be regular. And oh I was like, oh, sorry. These <laughs> people are sick. <laughs> she didn't have that attitude. I feel like we, we, they need funny. to work on a cure for that shit. No joke. Come on. Are people, like, just not caring or what? Is this like well, one of those? It's like there's only like 34 deaths a year, right. so I'm sure they can't. But uh, come on, like it's yeah. one. Isn't an amoeba? Isn't an amoeba one cell or something? Yeah, single cell organism. That's yeah. like the definition of it. We can't beat that. We can't beat one cell. That for seems goodness sake, like we're just not trying hard enough. Right. If that ain't, ain't the David and Goliath story, I've heard, I've heard. <laughs> if you do die though of of whatever, I've just read a story about how um, human corpses keep moving for one year after death. <gasps> this is crazy because I have a corpse story too. What, <laughs> Susie? That is disgusting. What is one it? One okay. year? One year? Okay, 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 okay. okay. Let's go through okay. this. Yeah. So, are we talking? This is like electrical activity in the body afterwards, or is this? All those weird things that live on us that we oh. always talk about that are like still going to town. I don't know. And maybe they don't know. There's this place in Australia where they analyze dead bodies. Oh, the body farm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where they observed for one year oh, that dude. especially the arms. Especially Isn't that weird? The arms. What the what hell's is, going on? Yeah. I and I thought, well, maybe it's just the decomposition because naturally, if right, if things inside are falling apart, <laughs> yeah. you're you're gonna like collapse like a flan in the cupboard. But it wasn't just that; it was like they were very shocked and surprised that this was going on, and it was wow, um, not insignificant. Nasty. It was a lot of movement. Oh, I love not insignificant findings. <laughs> Those are like my favorite kind of findings. But you know, you know those people that keep their dead relatives for years in the house. Yes. Yep. I mean, don't I don't you think know they know would them, have been able to report on this. Oh, we should have been asking them. Like, hey, did you guys notice any movement? Did they move. But imagine what that would do to you. What like right. if you did keep it, and then you'd be like, well, that good thing. One foot in the grave, one foot out. Got to keep this thing here <laughs> for a while foot. longer. One foot in the grave. <laughs> That's so stupid. I don't know. I don't know if it's activity or what. I don't know, but I don't like it one bit. Cremate the hell out of me. And also, why aren't there any reports of this happening at like open casket ceremonies? Is it that we have it in? This must be very like hard to detect movement. I don't think, but maybe. Creepy. (laughs) Maybe it's only bodies that haven't been embalmed or something. Oh, like the embalming process stops that. Yeah. Okay, that would make sense. Which I think kind of leans towards maybe there being other organisms in our bodies that are like doing, I don't know. It's the amoebas at work. It's the amoebas. Definitely (laughs) those guys. 
<laughs> Man, weird. Yeah, good to know, though. I don't yeah. know why it's good to know. I say that constantly, and then I'm like, but why, why is that good to know? You know, who knows? If anything, I just say, like, one day we'll be on a, a you know, that, they don't even have the show anymore, I'm sure. The What's the millionaire one? Who wants to be a millionaire? Oh, yeah, I And it'll do. be like some, I mean, I do too. And it'll be like our, our final question answer. Or like <laughs> right. That. Yeah. Um, Bodies continue to move how long after death? So she'd be like, I know this. <clears throat> if you are dead and you want to be buried in something really fashionable, <laughs> mm-hmm. you should order from Just Fab. Sarah, did you place your order yet? No, not yet, because I'm still deciding. I have so many things in my I hate this cart. about you. I know it's the worst, but I'm leaning towards a pair of those ankle booties, like the the yeah, I saw those. With like, mm-hmm. aren't those cute? With the I think with my like high waisted Levi's wedgie jeans and like those boots. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, I'm into it. Just like, do it. Snakeskin. I know. I just like need people to like tell me yes, you're buying the right thing. But I guess at those prices, who cares? Well, that's that's the thing. Just Fab is a great place to go for items that you want to be really stylish and really fresh, but you don't want to spend an arm and a leg. I bought a brand new pair of sneakers that are so cute. Oh, because it was I getting ridiculous. I was wearing the same shoes every day, as you guys know. Yes. And so I was like, okay, I need to. Which try. is fine. <laughs> it's but. fine. But I was like, I just want to try out some new sneaks. So I got a pair and I got a bunch of new um, fall stuff, which is so fun because that's always, yes. I don't know why fall is so fun to shop for. Well, and I think your style, your color palette, you're a fall. Oh, that's like I can see. I, like it. I mean, spring too. I like you look in those pastels, but I think fall, like with kind of like, and now it's like those seventies colors kind oh, of vibes, I love that. like the burnt orange and you know, like sienna and all those. Your yeah, forest. Oh, come on, that totally looks great on you. You guys can see what looks great on you too, because there's a sixty second style quiz that you can take, and then they give you a million personalized outfit recommendations. Oh, and you get a little personalized boutique, and they have a th- over a thousand different styles. You can check out as a guest, or you can become a VIP. And if you are a VIP, you get all these perks and free shipping on orders over thirty nine bucks, and invitations to private VIP events. There's just a lot of stuff going on, so just check it out. It's just fat. It is just fab. Before I forget, Just Fab is offering our listeners an exclusive deal. Get your first Just Fab style for as low as ten bucks as a VIP. That's seventy five percent off your first item with our special link. Just go to justfab.com slash brain candy to take advantage of the deal now. That's justfab.com slash brain candy to get your first style for as low as ten dollars as a VIP. You can also get free shipping on orders over thirty nine dollars, and there's absolutely no commitment when you purchase your first order. Justfab.com slash brain candy. Yeah, man. Um, I have a story. Oh, 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 okay. Yes, what? Yes. You tell well, me. I was, but I was just going to tell you, I mean, I was like, when do I throw in my corpse story? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to know. Before, yeah. before it becomes a total tangent and like I derail <laughs> the rest of our yeah. episode. Okay. So you know how we were talking about Mount Everest and everything like Yeah, we were mad about it. Super mad? Well, now we have a new thing to be mad at. Okay. So because of uh, the, you know, climate change and all this... Mount Everest is melting at a faster rate, and the melting is uncovering hundreds of dead bodies. Oh, my God. And people, all the trash, which also means all the bio waste. Oh, my God. Which is shit. (laughs) No. Oh, that's what you mean. Everything. I'm talking everything. We have a big problem with the bodies because they're they're all melting. And now you have dead bodies that are... Rotting. Rotting. And lovely. That's lovely. Tons, hundreds of tons of <sighs> human waste and just, you know, other waste 
I lying just, around. I never imagined that I would have such strong feelings about Mount Everest. Right? Like, I'm I mean, so it's mad. Really, it's really, really bad. Like, oh, stop gosh. climbing it. We're not impressed a, anymore. A five-year study by the International Center for Integrated Mountain Development found that the glaciers are melting rapidly and threaten to shrink to nearly a third of their size. Like, by when? soon. <laughs> oh, my God, like soon. What if it said yeah, that? Yeah, right? Oh, like soon, you guys. That's a good point. It just says that's like what they threaten, like fucking soon. So, yeah. And I can't believe it that, you know, in my head, how many people do you think they gave permits to for 2019? Oh, gosh. People like, or groups? Do you people. Mean? Individual climbing mm. permits. This was a record year. Okay. And it's not as high as I thought it would be. Oh, really? Yeah. I was thinking maybe 100 people a day. So like 383. That's What? It. Yeah. Well, what, why are they all in line? How because long is this taking? Because you're only able to climb it for a certain time when the weather, oh. permit, where the weather permits and when okay. the snow is high enough to be able to like before it melts and everything. See, this is annoying to me. If I you're going to climb Mount Everest, then do it during the really tough time. Oh, like why are they going in the easy time? Oh, well, what happens is if they go, they have to go when it's really, really cold or, and when the snow is like packed in, because what ends up happening is as soon as this melt starts to take place, you have, uh, uh, what are they called? Avalanches. Right. That's when everything becomes loose underneath and the deaths happen. But of those 383 climbing permits, there were 12 people who died. So that's a significant number when you look at like, you know, and that picture of that, that traffic, right. That's like for real. So, okay, man, but I'm still stuck is, on this part about how, yeah, like yeah, somebody's which, thought process is, I'm going to do the hardest thing in the world, but at the but at the easiest time of year. Yeah. Why? I Why? Think, well, I think it's the only time that you're able to go. It's one of those. It's things like illegal. Where it's like, not illegal, but like those Sherpas are like, this <laughs> is when no. we go. Yeah, fu- like that's how you die, dude. Like. 100% chance yeah. of death if you go any other times. Okay, okay, but, okay. All right, yeah. so that's that's disgusting and terrible. Yeah. What are they going to do? Clean them up or what? They're trying. There they're, they're are these certain groups that are, are going out there. So now what they've done is they've created a fee. So you mm-hmm. have to – there's a, like a $5,000 um, fee that you have to pay, like a disposal fee – and you, it's reimbursed only if you come back with, like, set, I think it's like 17 pounds of trash. Like, basically what you would expect to bring. And they need everybody to, like, whatever you take, including your own shit, you need to bring back. Shut up. I, I'm not kidding. That's what they say. And they said it is helping a little bit. It's proven oh. to be somewhat of an effective measure. Well, that I'm they sorry, have to but what's the everything. big deal about the shit part? Because I thought that was natural. Oh, my God. No, I'm telling you, when I, this was the biggest problem when I was on Ma- hiking Machu Picchu. Because, what happened? You had the shit in a bag? Well, no. I mean, we had, sort of, yeah. We okay. had, they had, like, proper disposal of it. But what happens when you have, like, one trail, one, like, area where you're able to hike, you just get that many people. I mean, there were, what, like, I think it was, like, 100, 200 a day allowed on that trail. And you have all those people with no facilities and go into the bathroom. And then people tend to go to the bathroom, you know, near paths that also happen to be near bodies of water that tend to flow downstream and then you contaminate yeah. all of the water and like that was a big thing and mm. oh god i had just never 
I didn't see a ton of, tra- I mean, little pieces of trash here and there, but people see mm-hmm. trash and they pick it up. But I had a big issue with the human feces that I saw. Really? I would like go, yep. There was like one time where, you know, we were on the trail and it was not a time where we were st- like the camp was set up. So we had like the little, they like set up this like, I don't know, like bucket with a hole in the top and you just like crap on that. Yeah. And let me tell you, I was on a trip with five dudes and like seven <laughs> like Sherpa guys who were maybe like five of those, all dudes and me. <laughs> not i should have had my own tent it was not fair and i tried to wake up Wait, at the, why pun, I, I don't even mean to say this the butt crack of dawn to go and like be the first one in there because you know what it's like after being with like seven dudes who have been hiking and like they're oh my god it was nasty so i had to like get up first thing in the morning to be the first one in that bathroom and still every time i use it i would like leave and like really be gagging i'd be like because it was so nasty because it's hot i mean they put they put up this collapsible tent and inside it's like a port it's like a collapsible porta potty and they just put a little bucket in there and you just go and there's like you just squat and that's it and these you know six foot two dudes are not as good at squatting as Mm. you know it's really you mean it was everywhere i mean well not (sighs) it wasn't tidy or it it wasn't tidy oh god it was off. Oh my god! I'm I do not understand it. you, <laughs> adventurer types, because well, there is a reason we all live in houses with running water and stuff. Well, totally, it's better. I, yes, you are correct. <laughs> and in that situation, it's like that's not ideal for yeah, no. like. I don't feel like that's really being like mm-hmm. that. That as like somebody who is kind of like a, a naturalist in that way, who who wants to like when I do any of those trips, or if I were to go on. You yeah, know, big backpacking exp- expedition. You know, I know the rules. Yeah, I know you, you walk twenty feet away from the path. I know you bury it six inches deep. All that stuff, like or however deep it is. Yeah, and but you most to, like, people don't care about that. Most people don't care. Yeah, and I bring the right kind of toilet paper if and like all <laughs> that stuff, like the all that. But that's not what they were doing on this trip. Right, that's I, totally I get not it, and I mm-hmm. I do not like that. So. You know, if you do it the right way, then it's like no problem and nobody, but people don't know. So, so. people, when they go on Mount Everest, are also expected now to bring back their feces. Yep. Well, and they, that, if you're somebody who's at the level where you're climbing, that's not a bizarre thing to do. Right. If you're somebody who's like, you know, that's like what you do. Yeah. It's leave no trace and yeah. that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It seemed, but. But, you know, ugh. if there's so that many people and nobody's doing oh, my God, they said base camp was, oh, they had, like, it, like thousands of, it was disgusting. Like, what the base camp was. I think we have like. to leave it and to the Nepalese people to freaking sort it all out and make rules and... I should say the government, not the people. Yeah, no, the, that's the problem is that the government is kind of like dragging their feet on this. Over 5,000 kilograms of human waste at the base camp this year. That is so gross. Dude, that's freaking nasty. And they do not have plumbing systems. Set up See, for that. this is why I stay home. Yeah, it's probably best. <laughs> and what, when I am at home, I am often now taking classes on Skillshare. I'm okay. so excited. I wanted to tell you. Okay, so first of all, when we had our Q&A the other day, mm-hmm. Christy made that joke because YouTube changed their um, 
streaming service. And so we had all that trouble. And she, I heard, watched her type. They should take a class on Skillshare about technology. <laughs> and I was like, listen, Christy, whatever. <laughs> but what I am taking classes on is um, knife skills in the <gasps> kitchen. Oh, my God, Suze. That yeah. is so smart. It's so fascinating. Oh. Oh, that is a really good one. Those are like those simple things that will make a big difference in your life. And also you look cool. Yeah. And it was like, this is, I'm cooking every day. So I might as well just learn how to do things properly. And they're just like quick five minute videos. Like here's how to cut garlic. Here's how to cut an onion. I'm so into this. (laughs) I I really, I don't know why. Like when I learned how to cut an onion the right way, it really did change. I was like, that's how you do it? (laughs) Yeah. So I, that's the only vegetable I know. I need to learn all the others. Good call, Suze. Yeah, and so I'm really excited about it, and I want you guys to try it too because they have classes on everything from photography, creative writing, design, oh. business, all kinds of stuff. And it was actually hard for me to choose, like, what do I want to learn I know, today? Now I'm like, what do I want to know? <laughs> yeah, just look it up, and you'll find what you need, oh, I'm telling oh. you. Um, Woodworking. I want to build some furniture. Hey, maybe they have that taxidermy. We've been talking about that. Oh my God. What if? It's like, go outside, find a dead animal. (laughs) All right, check. (laughs) Check. If lifelong learning is important to you like it is for us, then join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for our listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free. That's right. Skillshare is offering the Brain Candy Podcast listeners two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. Sign up. Go to Skillshare.com slash Brain Candy. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Brain Candy to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash Brain Candy. It's free. Do it. Free. I mean, come on. It's like my favorite price. Okay. So now you can tell me all the things that you wanted to talk about. I found this really fun article on ESPN.com about... A strange way that people are losing weight, which when you think about it makes sense, but you would never think of it, which is playing chess. Oh, is it from thinking? Yeah, stress. Uh, You know, I've I've said this because this was in some, what book is it? I think it's in um, the Moonwalking with Einstein book. Yeah. That they say a chess master burns as many calories as like a high performing athlete. Yeah, it's from that, just thinking, and people were like, "That's not true." And yeah, they're burning true. about six thousand calories a day. Come on, and like it's about half of what it would be like if you were playing tennis. That's so cool. And this like, is another thing about how our mind is amazing. If we just like yeah. walk ourselves, th- not walk, run ourselves in a way through an activity in our mind in a really immer- like we can. It's like our body thinks we're doing it. What? Yeah, because it's like you're you're activating the same chemicals and it's stress yep. chemicals, really. Yep. And I remember when I was in grad school, I would be so hungry all day because oh you're God. just thinking so damn much and oh. your brain is just always at, trying to operate at peak level. Dude. And I would notice like, damn, I'm so hungry. I wonder if that's how I lost a bunch of weight in my last semester at school of like, I mean, I was like on overdrive of thinking those last Mm -hmm. six months. And it was like, I was always hungry too. Dude, Suze, this is cool. Yeah. Yeah, And like, so like the players in the tournament, this one guy was like the best in the world and he noticed he was still winning all of his matches, but he noticed they were taking longer and that he was winning by a smaller margin. Uh And he was, he went to a consultant and was like, what am I doing wrong? And they're like, well, 
you're drinking too much orange juice. So you're having like sugar crashes oh in the afternoon. God. Isn't that cool. crazy? Yeah, that's really cool. So now they're doing like, they're getting private chefs and training like athletes, oh like working out in the week. It's and, really cool. Yeah. It's really cool. I think that's great. I mean, my when we were growing up, my mom... God bless her, really understood the connection between brain, the brain and the nutrients we give our brain and performance Like before this was a popular trendy thing. And mm-hmm. we would go, when we had a test that day, she would always say, okay, we're going to brain food in the morning. And she would make us <laughs> like eggs with salmon, something that was high in omega-3s. Yeah. She would make sure, and then it would like high in iron, but also with orange juice because you need the vitamin C in order for the iron to like, you know, all this good stuff that she was doing. And, and I just like, and I, I adapted those same kind of, you know, I would do the same thing before I have a test. I'd be like, Oh God, I have like, yeah, you're you know, still a my, breakfast person. I know. Oh my gosh. And it like gets me, I have to, I feel like if I don't do that, then I won't have the energy to perform. And like, I notice a difference when I don't. And I feel like there's, we can definitely, give our brain like what it needs it we just got it's like that i go back back to the plant thing it's like we got to like check in and be like what does this plant need right now what do i need <laughs> yeah. what's my body need right we do that with plants why aren't we doing right. that with ourselves and it's so cool that you know just somebody thinking yeah. can increase their performance you know i feel the same about um uh staying focused on one task and you know Mm. the stuff we've learned about task switching and that burning up glucose in the brain and i wonder if like these people who are playing six hours of one thing are able to like you know i don't know use more of that brain power to to solve the problems or whatever because they're focused on just one task and not switching back and forth and and you know you get like better results. It's cool. We got to like just learn, use all of this as like pieces of the puzzle to then like those tools in our toolbox we were talking about. You're reminding me that yesterday I read, I read a tweet by Jane McGonigal, who's the author of Super Better. And mm-hmm. she had read a study about how people that, you know, are on their phones or watching television for more yeah. than three hours a day or have greater rates of depression. And she was noting how yes. um, that's what the studies had said about 10 years ago about video game use. It was that three-hour window. It was the tipping Mm. point. And she thought that's good to know that that seems to be the tipping point at which people transition into, like, it becoming not helpful. Okay. So is this three hours total or three hours in one sitting? I believe it's per day. Okay, per day. Yeah, that would make sense. I wonder if there's anything about the maximum time that, you know, like... Kind of like when you take a nap. If you take a nap for a certain amount of time, the results are like the best. Exactly. But if you go too long, you get too tired afterwards. Right. They say 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, So I wonder if there is a, if it's the same for this, where it's like 20 minutes is great, but if you do it for an hour, then it has. It's worse. Yeah. Yeah. Negative effects. Yeah. I think that's so interesting. And like, leave it to the scientists to sort it all out and then just tell us what to do. I love it, man. Pardon my cough drop sucking, by the way. That's okay. You got to do what you got to do. I was LOLing about our episode where you were talking about your toaster oven. Oh my God. You're so funny. I was LOLing about everything else in that episode. (laughs) How is your toaster oven working out? Great. It's really good. But here's the funny thing. So... (laughs) I bought this great toaster oven because I was looking for a teeny tiny one, which are hard to find. And I found one at Williams-Sonoma, super nice. 
And Whoa. it's a new fancy digital. Well, you know, and surprisingly, it was only $60. So you say, well, because I, I was thinking, right? It was a great deal. So shout out to William Sonoma for having, not an ad, <laughs> but just like glad you guys have affordable prices on some stuff. Uh, <laughs> because that's like about the cost of a pair of like, you know, kitchen shears there. I'm like, what are you, are you crazy? $80 for scissors? But anyways, uh, so it's this new fancy one that's digital and you know how in like a toaster oven, well, maybe you don't know because you don't have one of these, but you turn the <laughs> dial and you like set it for like toast and then it has like a picture of the toast yeah, and yeah. it'll be like full dark or medium dark yeah. or like lightly toasted. And it's like, okay, I know which one I want. I want it to look like this. Well, this one doesn't have that. It's just digital. You set the temperature, like you decide what you want, like bake, broil, toast or whatever. And so then it's like you, a surprise party. Totally. And then you pick the time. You have to digitally set like the time that you want it. So now I'm like playing this guessing game. I'm sure in the instructions <laughs> it says like a, right. a cook toast at this. But, you know, me being how I am, I yeah. tossed that and I was like, I'll just figure it out. This looks easy enough. You know, I'm definitely like a dude in that way. Yes, for sure. Oh, for sure. I mean, I got to, Yeah. I, but, uh, it was news to me when I found out like the knob on toasters where it's like one, two, three, four, five is that allegedly the number of minutes. Okay. Well, th- this is helpful information because <laughs> I know that I'm usually at about three and a half, four. Okay. Maybe so, that's But I've been minutes. setting my toast for like two minutes because I've been like, has it I been underdone? Know, but, yes, it has. Okay. And then when you go back to retoast it, not the same. You got to do it all in one shot. Really? I feel, yeah. It dries it like, they're, eh, yes. <laughs> they should yeah. do a British bake-up episode of just toast. Just me toasting stuff. It's very It'll complicated. Be like, can she, and then like give me multiple kinds of bread. Like, <laughs> here's a baguette. Here's sourdough. Can she Pumper handle rye? Right. <laughs> yes. Right. What will she do with a pretzel loaf? Let's see how it goes. <laughs> oh, God. I love that show so much. Oh my gosh. You know what? I haven't even really gotten into it. I've only watched the, uh, the, what's the one with the decorating and the fails and the, the, oh, like, nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah. This one, I love that. A, a, you know, very soothing and, um, a very, um, British. Sweet. Like, they're all rooting for each other. Oh, I love that. I have heard about this. Yeah, it's quite nice because, you know, American reality shows, as we know, yeah. focus yep. more on the drama and the British, this is a British show and it is just oh. kind and lovely and funny and cute, but sweet. It is fun when you see like the same genre of shows, but from another country. Yeah. I like, like I was telling you about the, um, uh, What's it called? The case that haunts me. Yes. About that's a Canadian, like true crime mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. and all of them are like nice guys. Like they're, it's like they're talking about these dark stories, but they do it politely and nicely. I feel like it's like a Canadian. <laughs> that's how it thing. is on the Canadian intervention. Okay, there you go. They like just say, "We really think you should go to um, rehab," and then the person's like, "Okay," <laughs> they just go. <laughs> It's hilarious. So great. Yeah, that's like, oh, I love that. It's real cute. Um, well, oh my we God. need Speaking... an intervention for, sorry to interrupt, what? is no, uh, no, go. Yes. reading. We can't stop reading over here. And now I've got my son addicted to reading, which I'm so over the moon about. The best. And so facilitating that is a subscription that we have to Literati. I posted I about it this. on our Instagram because I wanted to, people to see how beautiful the books were and the artwork that comes in the subscription box. 
it is such a nice gift if you know anyone with kids or if you have kids. They um, mail five teacher-approved books to your child every month, and it's it's basically the subscription that a teacher would buy for their own kids. And that way you don't have to read the same books to your kids constantly. They're age-appropriate. They're beautifully made. They're treasures. They're the kind of books you'll want to keep, and then your kids will give to their kids. And then each month you can buy the books you want and you can return the rest for free and it's super easy. Oh, I didn't know that part. Yeah. So if you're like, oh, we already have this kind or we don't need this many, just send the rest back. And for a limited time, go to literatibooks.com and use promo code BRAINCANDY. You get $20 off your first box plus kids three and up get a special blacklight pen, which Lincoln's obsessed with. (laughs) This is your best offer available anywhere. To get it, you have to go to literatibooks.com, promo code BRAINCANDY for $20 off your first box plus a free blacklight pen for kids three and up. Literatibooks.com, promo code BRAINCANDY. What a great gift. Just like Dolly Parton, you know how she has all the books for for kids. I love love it. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, so cool. Okay, you had a story. Let's hear it. Mm, now I don't remember. No, no. Oh, my God. We I were talking do. about toast. I Oh, yeah. I don't even remember. Damn Gosh, it. I'm wrong sorry, Sarah. But I do. You don't have to be sorry. But I do have um, uh, some updates on okay. stuff that we talked about in the last episode that I thought were interesting. Okay, good. I love so updates. some people wrote me about the work wife thing. Yeah, people were mad. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Like, I I got real mixed reviews. In fact, I did, like, a poll of, like, is this... Yeah. Uh, and it was about 50-50. Okay. But a lot of men voting for the one that it's okay. <gasps> I looked at that. Okay, okay. Let's work through this. Yes. So I thought this one was interesting. Um, one of our brainiacs, and I'll just keep people anonymous because I don't know if they want to be, like, sure. their names out here. One person said, I 100% agree with you. I already love her. Uh, and she, she said, I've heard it in my office setting and I've always cringed. And I thought this was such a good point. She said, to me, that's saying she's more than a friend, which oh. is horrifying coming from a married woman. Which, you know, here's the thing. I, I get people, you're... Yeah. Th- that's going to happen. We can't... Humans are humans. You're going to have feelings for people who are not your significant other. That's yeah, fine. Right. It just feels almost like disrespectful if those boundaries aren't clearly set and then you keep kind of like playing into that because you know it just there's a a book out there that's i can't remember who it's by where is it do i have it somewhere near no um and it's uh uh called more not just friends and it's kind of talking about that like slippery slope this is like a therapy book that is you know designed for couples who have dealt with kind of infidelity or those sort of issues and there is this like a real gray area sometimes and that can be you know somewhat dangerous if you uh maybe don't have as secure of a relationship yeah so that was an interesting comment more like it's and, saying she's more than a friend well and it's this idea of not walking too close to the cliff correct totally yeah. that's it yes yeah. exactly exactly and then another person said then i thought this was interesting she said i've only ever used the term uh work wife to describe her relationship with another woman at work like they use it and i like females use it. Oh, she's my wife. Yeah, I like that. And That's I wonder, cute. is that just us taking it back though? Like saying, like, oh, oh. she's a bad bitch, or oh, is yeah. that is re? What do they call that? Um, um, you know, when you like you take it back, is that is that? Yeah, reclaiming. Reclaiming, yes. Is yeah. it just reclaiming that as a way to 
kind of counter what we already kind of sense as being gendered and or you know. is it as simple as denoting a feeling of intimacy and closeness beyond colleagues and like um almost like a loyalty to that person mm, okay, i don't know okay that that's a good argument for it cuz when um i think it was was that joanna that said she and her friend at work call each other work wives and mm-hmm. I thought that's really cute, and it's nice. I love women like who me too champion other women and yeah whatever support each other. But and that's what that's saying is like she's my friend who like supports. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. Maybe <laughs> we just need to become more okay with male and female relationships that are friendships. Yeah, maybe because I have a lot of those. Yeah, that are totally platonic, and I love them dearly. But you and wouldn't call them your men. like. You wouldn't use that no, phrase, though, because no. there isn't anything sexual. Yeah. You know what? Good point. Yeah. It's very clearly established boundaries and, you know, whether they're spoken or unspoken. And I think there's implicit dude, sexuality. You're so right. I'm, I stick. I, okay. I stand <laughs> Nobody's changed my mind. But In if fact, somebody wants down. to do it and it's right. just harmless, then great. Yeah. But, but it's like, just let's not, just, I'm not into it. understand why. Yes. I also spend a lot of time exploring uh, the kink world and BDSM-related things after our talk about Unix. You did? Oh, yes. I went <laughs> down a rabbit hole. Why? Which I you was not even interested? mad. That, yeah, I'm interested. And I, mm-hmm. I, think it's, I think exploring power dynamics in sexual relationships is really fun. And I think... Um, like consensual, mm, uh, uh, like changing of those or, or like, I like, I'm into it. I'm really into those kind of like power dynamics in the bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I, you know, I wanted to just know more and yeah. like, because I thought to myself, I'm like, who's, what? Like we're we're talking even just in in like the 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 write up we did of like advertising the net, that episode it was like we're going to talk about fetishes, and so then I was like, well, is it really a fetish? And like what? Because a fet I heard the unit thing. Yeah, so I read mm-hmm. recently like I was going through in my deep dive. I was looking through like a glossary of terms, and they say fetish is is sexual play with like an object that like a foreign object. Mm-hmm. So it's almost more like a form of like self-imposed, like like not sadomasochism, but like mm. something like that mm-hmm. than it is like a fetish with like an object or something. Hmm. And so it's like like kind of like learning more about like the kink community in order to uncover like what's really going on there. And I read this really cool article that talked about like why we like objectification and why somebody could be into something like that. Yeah, what did you find out? It said so. This this article said the nature of humanity is to objectify things. We're pretty Mm. simple-minded creatures. We like to categorize things, and that's very depersonalizing, dehumanizing. But it's one thing that BDSM and rough sex lets you do. 
It lets you experience things that you may have had an interest in or you may have felt shame about or you may have had very horrible traumatic experience with and relive it in an environment that's done with consent with a partner that loves you. And it can transcend Mm. into a more positive experience. So I was thinking, like, if we tie that to the shame that we were talking about, about how this person maybe experienced shame around their genitals at an age where it had a significant impact on them, and then they put themselves in these invi- in these sexual encounters that they're they're in control of. They, I mean, anytime somebody's well, hopefully, if you're like really involved in that world, you there are rules. Like everything is yeah. negotiated. You have safe words. There, you know, there's like aftercare. Everything is talked about, you know, it's like part of the fun of it. And so I'm sure all that's happening. And so maybe it's a way for them to kind of like, like, I really just softened my position on this and just understood mm-hmm. a little more. I mean, I think, yes, it's taking it to an extreme when you're going to the point where you're like, um, you know, permanently harming your body in a way that, but I can see the, the like what people get from it. Yeah, I thought that you made a good point last time, though, when you said, in all likelihood, this is about something more than just sexual Mm -hmm. gratification, and that the act of removing your balls is not going to solve that or satiate you, and then you're in a real pickle. Right. Um, So maybe looking into why you're into it would be helpful before you go chopping off parts of your body. That's good. I think it's important to look at why you're into it, you know, because I think about, you know, like my preferences, like I, despite what I speak on, like I talk about sexual abuse, I talk about consent, I talk about all of this. But there's a big part of me that likes to be at, like not the one in control when, you mm-hmm. know, and, be, yeah. and like switch that role. And I, it, I think it is because I like to do that in a safe environment that makes me, and it, like when I read that part about like it helps you, you know, if you've had a traumatic experience, it mm. helps you okay, relive it that. in an environment that's done with consent. I think about my, a friend of mine who had PTSD from being in the military who really loves um, martial arts and feels like he do, like he does those like sparring where somebody's attacking him and he feels like when somebody's attacking him in an environment where he can control the outcome or he has a little like well more, way more control and can say you know stop and can say like whatever it is that it recalibr it like uh, um, rebalances that that system that can tend to like overreact or underreact because of past traumas it like Mm -hmm. helps us learn how to better control that what they call the uh uh, hpa axis so i think so maybe we're maybe we're totally seeing things in a new way yeah i am softening to the hard stuff i guess you could say (laughs) well if you like to drink the hard stuff you will love brewmate because brewmate is a company that created stuff to hold your alcohol that will keep it the perfect temperature for freaking 24 hours. So if you go out for a picnic or you go out for a, a tailgating or wherever you are and you want to keep your drink the right temperature, you should try Brewmate. We have the wine salators and the mm-hmm. uncorked wine glasses. They're so handy. We took them out to um, a concert the other night. Oh, cool. And that way yeah. we didn't have to pay all that money when you go inside you could just oh, do right. a little tailgate situation yes um and, and i've been going on a lot of first well not a lot but you know a couple <laughs> first dates to the beach yes and i this is like 
The perfect you know, thing. I need to get this because I want, it makes me feel like kind of like, like I have my shit together too. <laughs> right. You have, th- um, I do love that. I was just thinking about how I love having just the right thing for every occasion. It's the best. And then when you pull it out in like yeah. moments like that, people are like, damn, oh, she you got, got your got shit, shit together. together. Yeah. You came prepared. I'm like, there, yes, I did. <laughs> Brewmate's stylish insulated drinkware is designed to keep everything the right temperature. Don't settle for warm alcohol. Chill out with your favorite drinks all day long with Brewmate. Visit brewmate.com and add code BRAIN to get 15% off your first order. That's 15% off your first order when you go to B-R-U-M-A-T-E.com and add code BRAIN. Um, okay, I, I was really impressed with my transition on that. You were great. Thank sis. you. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. I was like, if you like the hard stuff, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm just giving myself a little pat on the back for that one. Um, <laughs> hey, you're going to love that. Well, Maybe be sad, but you'll oh, like oh. this this information. I read an article about how imaginary friends are going extinct. Oh <laughs> my <laughs> God, this is a problem. We all need to be outraged. I, yep, 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 yep. I can absolutely <laughs> see why. This is the death of creativity and imagination. I'm, I, th- this is an emergency. <laughs> Sarah. I knew you were going to do this that. This is an extinction that we really need to care about. I agree. And I think oh it's such God. an important sort of thing that you never would think about as an unintended consequence of the digital age. Dude. And how we don't let kids be bored anymore. We need to do that. We need... Oh, my God. this, Including this, me. Like, I'm including myself in this story about parents and kids. I mean, I had a, a moment, probably a, now it's probably been about two or three weeks, where I was sitting on my couch and I just sat on my couch and I just had maybe like 15, 20 minutes where I just like let my mind wander. And I was mm-hmm. just like, I'm just going to do nothing. And this feels nice. And like, let me, let's just think about like whatever yeah. comes in. Yeah. And it was, I was so in that moment and afterwards aware that that was such a rare thing these days and like not something I was used to doing. And then reminded my, like I was reminded of how many times as a kid I would be driving in the car, like not me driving, but my mom would be driving and I'd be looking out the window and I had similar, Mm -hmm. it felt the same. And what are the consequences of not having those moments? Yeah. There's gotta be there. It, yep. My, my, when I was growing up, my mom had a daycare in our house. And so we had a lot of little kids all the time. Mm-hmm. And many of them had imaginary friends. And at the time, of course, you know, I was, you know, a teenager. And I thought it was so weird. And because yeah. I had, I didn't have an imaginary friend because I had four siblings. And right. <clears throat> you don't really need them. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but these were mostly um, only children. And their parents both oh. worked. And so I think, you know, they created their own little social life. One of them had a, um, a imaginary friend that was Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. Oh, that's so cute. And one was like a, ba- he would say baby Dirk. His name was Dirk and his friend was baby Dirk. So oh my God. He would crawl around. Or- and I mean, I thought it was so weird, but now I look back and I think, wow, the, the human brain again. Yes does so many good things to help you get through life. And that's one of those examples. And, you know, if we were to look at what that child is doing in that moment, they're externalizing, they're... um, Processing. Yes, there's so much going on. And in a way, 
a lot of the things that they're doing, I try to duplicate in the room with a client. Like, for example, there's one uh, intervention that I use that's called the empty chair, where I put an empty chair across from the person, and I say, you know, say somebody has a relative that they have, you know, um, issues with, and they there's a lot that they really want to say, or they're angry about something that happened in the past, but they don't feel like they could say that in, to them in real life, or that maybe the person passed away or is no longer around, and they don't have the opportunity to. We'll put an empty chair in there and very give like a good description of like what does this person look like sitting in this chair? Imagine them there. Now say all those things, mm. and you don't say it like you say it like they're there. Yeah, you say. You hurt me in this way, and da 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 da. And uh, what I needed from you, it is it's powerful. Uh, so, so powerful. There's always tears. It's, it's so. Oh my god! I did it once, and I did it when we were just doing a role play where one the girl was like, I was the client, and the my uh, uh, the gal in my cohort was the therapist, and I was like, just pick a you know a hypothetical scenario, but that's like impossible for us to do because everything's related to something in our real life, mm-hmm. and uh, and I just I just burst, I couldn't even do it, I couldn't even, it was so hard to be confrontational with that person in that empty chair, even in just my imagination, and I saw how powerful that is. So like you're the kids are giving themselves that opportunity mm. to externalize in that way, process stuff, work stuff out. Maybe there's and we don't know. There's this great meme floating around or like thing online that says when a child asks you to play with them, what they're really saying is like I had a rough day. Oh. And it's so true. In little kid world, in that they don't say, oh, I had a stressful day at school. Like, they say, can you come play with me? And that means I would like to process the things that have happened to me today mm-hmm. in an, a play environment where I can make sense of it. And that's what we do in, in child therapy. A lot yeah. of it is non-directional, which is where you do not give a single directive to the child. In fact, if they ask you, you don't even ask any questions. You just reflect if you see them playing, you go, I see that you're playing with the red crayon, or I see you're playing with the fire truck. And they can say, oh, do you want me to play with this? You go, I see that you want me to give you input. You never <clears> even <throat> tell them, like, any direction. And this, and, and it's so powerful. Oh, God, I'm getting real into this story. <laughs> well, and just, I notice as a parent, the, the moments that aren't filled with noise, yes. when the TV is not on, and... You're just, you know, getting ready for bed or those quieter moments. That's when the good stuff happens. And so if you fill everything with noise and screens all the time, then they don't have the opportunity to sort of sort through everything either. And so... Turn off your TV, people. Yeah, I'm not a TV person, believe it or not. Me either. I realize now that I'm not one. My TV has, no joke, been on four times. <laughs> Since I've lived at my house, you were really insistent about getting it up, like you yeah. wanted that sorted, well, but then you never the turned it on. <laughs> right? Yeah, I really wanted it for like aesthetic reasons, well, not it's just, for it's just nice to have. TV. Right? Right? <laughs> but yeah, I know what you mean. It's just I don't like the. Um, my dad was one of those people that as soon as he was in a room, he had to have noise. And I thought I believed at the time that it was to drown out those thoughts that yes. you maybe don't want to hear. And so I am, I've reacted against that and I try not, unless it's music, I do love that. Right. But right. the TV noise to me, it makes no. my head, brain, my brain me too. hurt. It, me too. Big, 
big well, problem when, there. when you were married, you guys had sports on all the time, and that is my least Don't, favorite. Not you guys had sports on. There, <laughs> so, let's be really clear. There's one person in the relationship who had that on. Well, you know what I mean. There yes. was a TV on with sports in your house. Correct. And I hate and that noise the most. That or the History Channel, where all I have to hear is shooting. <laughs> I do not want a World War II documentary <laughs> on in the background when I'm trying to have my like mindfulness moment of like gardening <laughs> upstairs. Forget. Honestly, it. I do think you are meant to be with a woman. Oh God, you're like the fifth person to say that. Like, oh this really? Month. Yeah. In fact, I got a message from a friend that I went to elementary school with who's wonderful. I love her. And uh, she was like, you know, I've always thought that you shouldn't be with a guy. I mean... I know. But whatever, you know. Whatever, whatever you're right. One yeah. thing that I am really, really, really into is Everlane clothing. Mm. Obsessed. Oh my God, don't get me started. Sarah. Dude. <laughs> who's going to go first? Well, we- what do you love most? Well, did you get the blazer? Yes. How awesome is that thing? I mean, and I feel like it's like, I, this is the ultimate packable item. It's like yeah. not going to wrinkle. It, I'm like trying to, it's gorgeous. They, they make premium essentials using the finest materials, but tr- without the traditional markups. They want you to know what you're paying for and why. They tell you their real costs, so they're super transparent. And the materials they use are ethic, ethical factories is, is where they're created. Mm-hmm. I mean... It's like simple, stylish pieces. Timeless classic pieces that you will have in your collection that like it doesn't matter what the trends are. You will always need a gray cashmere v-neck sweater. I'm sorry. That's just it. You will always have a use for that timeless camel colored, you know, wool, amazing cocoon jacket. Mm -hmm. Like fabulous, beautiful pieces that will never go out of style. And what we should be investing in in our clothes because... This is like the ultimate adulting move, I think. And yeah. I love my stuff. I'm like, I saw got your my bag sweaters, on your Insta nice, story. Oh, 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 oh my God. <laughs> a I just is love a, a nicely designed wallet Yeah, that like fits the stuff. That one is, I've been searching for, I'm going to like talk a lot about this. <laughs> I've been searching for like the ultimate wallet that fits the phone, that will fit my passport, that can be like everything for when I travel in one. It's and a I big have girl not been able purse. to find it, mm-hmm. found it with amazing quality. It's, they have beautiful Italian made leather goods, just really nice stuff. It's super high quality. And right now you can check out our personalized collection at everlane.com slash brain candy, and you'll get free shipping on your first order. That's everlane.com slash brain candy, everlane.com slash brain candy. Get that deal. Um, I have a really fun guest, um, on the show today. And I want to tell you this book he wrote is called normal sucks. How to live, learn, and thrive outside the lines. And if you are a person who perhaps you are dyslexic or ADD or you just don't think like the quote-unquote normal person or you have a child who's different or neuroatypical, this is the book for you. I felt so comforted reading it because my son was diagnosed with ADHD last year mm-hmm. and we chose not to medicate him. And I'm just dying for techniques to bring out the That's best great. in him, work with his strengths. And I feel like I'm making so much progress. You really are, Susie. It's amazing. 
Thank you. You were, it's really wonderful to see, and I could see him, you know, changing and learning how to, like, you know, control those kind of things. And, when, like, like, he doesn't think like uh, I do, like, just, mm-hmm. you know, the way my brain works. And so mm-hmm. I always thought he's lazy or, mm. you know, he's just um, apathetic. Mm-hmm. And it made me sort of resentful oh. towards him. Yeah. And then his nanny taught him to speak Spanish. <laughs> and I saw him in a totally new way because this is a kid who is now fluent in Spanish. Fluent. Not great with English. But, <laughs> but I realized if you can tap into the way his brain works, yes, he will thrive. Oh, and so now it's like a whole new world and I feel like everybody deserves that opportunity, whether you're quote unquote typical or atypical or whatever. I mean, this guy, Jonathan Mooney, he has quote unquote learning disabilities and thought he was an idiot his whole life until, uh, you know, and you get a good teacher who sees mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. And this teacher said, don't worry about your spelling. You're a great storyteller. Just tell the story. I won't take off her spelling. And it changed his life. Oh, see those? That's so important. I yeah. love this. Oh, that's so great. And thank God he, you know, had someone who saw that potential yeah. in him because some people never get that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so read this book, Normal Sucks by Jonathan Mooney. His interview is so insightful and what you'll learn so much about how to think about the human brain and our behavior and the way we learn. And I think everyone would benefit from it. So welcome to the show, Jonathan Mooney. Yay. Jonathan Mooney, thank you so much for coming on the Brain Candy Podcast. And congratulations on your book. You're super fancy. Are you? Is this like old hat now that you're Mr. Writer Guy, or is this still exciting? <laughs> <laughs> it is book three, but... Uh, but um... Every time it's a it's a it's a it's a gift, and uh, I I embrace uh, every moment of it. Good, because it's a phenomenal book. I'm so happy that I read it, and I'm so excited that I get to talk to you and harass you because I have many questions. Um, okay, so first of all, when you're writing a book and then it comes out, do you feel super vulnerable and weird when you have to talk about it? Uh, I I I I, su- I feel super vulnerable uh, and and weird. Uh, <laughs> not not so much because of the, the talking about it, but uh, more because uh, you know writing was always a, a, a real challenge for me. And uh, um, you know I, I, there are going to be <laughs> mistakes, and uh, uh, as they there always are in any any book, but. Uh, that's particularly um, anxiety-producing for me because of my history with dyslexia. Uh, so the talking's all good. It's more <laughs> the writing that is the writing is is uh, is is the challenge. Yeah, maybe this could be the fun part. Then that makes sense. Because in normal sex, you talk about you look at how we treat differently abled people through the lens of your own personal experience. So maybe we could start at the beginning of your story and how what your education experience was like given that you had this quote-unquote disability that was applied to you and labeled? Yeah, the book comes directly from, um, you know, my personal experience of, of being called uh, not normal and um, the struggles that 
emerged um, from a self-concept, uh, self-esteem, a self-worth perspective. Um, uh, me and school never got along. You know, I was the, you know, the 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 round peg that didn't fit the, the square hole, and uh, uh, I was quickly. Uh, diagnosed uh, with a continuum of things that were called at the time, as they still are often, uh, language-based learning disabilities, attention executive functioning disorders, uh, and the list uh, just kept going on and on and on. And uh, that experience of being uh, first marginalized from an educational setting that was built for the mythical normal student, Hmm. and then second, being pathologized um, as Uh, not different, but deficient, Mm -hmm. Uh, overcoming those two things, not overcoming my learning differences, and that's an important distinction, but overcoming the way that those differences were treated, you know, has been kind of my life's work for myself, obviously, but ultimately um, over the last 20 years for others. Have you heard of people who, once they get the label or the diagnosis that in some ways it can be a relief because there's a name for what they never knew there was a name for. But in your case, it seems like the the label was not helpful to you. Is that accurate? Well, it's absolutely uh, a a relief. You know, it's, it's Mm. better to be um, dyslexic than stupid. Mm. (laughs) You know, like it's better to be uh, seen and see yourself as, somebody with an intentional difference than as crazy or lazy. So there definitely is a a moment of healing in that. The problem is um, we don't tell the whole story. You know, the whole story is uh, that these things are differences. uh, And what goes hand in hand with the challenges of them, you know, I don't, I don't spell well, uh, I don't pay attention well, even to this day, those are real challenges that shouldn't be dismissed. But what goes hand in hand with those challenges are a whole bunch of good things and good mm-hmm. things that aren't talked enough about. So uh, I know more than ever, there's a really innovative, uh, forward thinking, uh, mental health professionals, psychologists, people doing right by young folks. And the way that they uh, deal with this is to uh, talk about the neurobiological root of the challenge, Mm -hmm. um, freeing somebody from the moralization of that challenge, freeing them from feeling like it's their fault. Uh, And then they quickly also talk about the uh, value of neurodiversity uh, and the importance of neurodiversity uh, to the human species to the world. Uh, And that's a very liberating combination. Well, I was really happy to have read your book. My son was recently diagnosed with ADHD and my husband has dyslexia. And I, I think that I've been not intentionally, but internally unkind to them in the way that I see them and I get frustrated. And so reading your book was so helpful to me because you you described what it's like to be that person, which is hard to understand if you if you don't live that way. And so I wondered why you know what I felt particularly condemned when you used when you said that people often think differently abled folks are lazy, and I accuse my son of that. <laughs> and I'm wondering though because you seem so hardworking and so you have so much perseverance. Did that kick in later? Like, am I still waiting for my kid to sort of develop that, or am I just reading it wrong? You're my therapist now, just so you know. 
and and all all the best uh, conversations are always deeply personal <laughs> conversations. Uh, and uh, so so you know you're right first to to um, uh, name that often uh, folks with atypical attention with a continuum of neurodiversities are uh, wrongly accused of laziness. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I, I experienced as something that I've encountered all, all around the country. People think that you my... are lazy too, though? Yeah, as a, as a, as a kid, yeah. Huh. Yeah, all absolutely. Right. Um, and and the, the reason uh, being is that um, we uh, ha- have a... Um, a very narrow definition of motivation that mm. primarily focuses on extrinsic motivation. Um, the idea that motivated people are people who are made of, motivated to do things outside of themselves when they're told to do it. Yeah. Um, we know more than ever that a lot of the neurodiverse are not extrinsically motivated, but intrinsically uh, motivated. Let, let me just give you a really good example of that. You know, I, I spent a lot of time talking all around the country world around these issues. And, and uh, some time ago, I was talking about motivation and, and the myth of laziness, for lack of a better word. And uh, a, a father came up to me and said, hey, you know what? My kid is 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 lazy. I heard everything you just said, but but my kid is super lazy. <laughs> yeah. And I said, I said, well, what, 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 how do you know that? And he went on to list all the school things that 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 the, the the his son wasn't motivated around you know the turning in the homework doing the homework after school blah 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 <laughs> and then i asked him about his son's weekend and he went on to describe how his son spent a lot of the uh, day in his room uh, on the computer uh, designing video games yeah and I, and i was like well not playing video games but designing them wow. and i was like hey what do you think about that and what's your son doing with those video games? And and he went on to say that his son is selling those video games. Come on! <laughs> so, that's so, so cool. So that that's a perfect example of of you know in an extrinsically motivated environment of school where mm-hmm. it's you know gold stars, yeah. it's uh, it's it's you know the, the the hall of great spellers, all those things. Um, a kid is unmotivated, but in an ec- intrinsically environment. Somebody is an entrepreneurial in waiting. So right. I think it's important for us to to understand the nuances of motivation. To understand there's a difference uh, between extrinsic and intrinsic motivation, and to celebrate that intrinsic motivation because more than ever to navigate a, a very rapidly changing economic reality, folks have to be able to follow their interests, their passions, and be intrinsically motivated opposed to motivated by things outside of themselves. Yeah. So our definitions are too narrow in in these cases. It seems um, what I what drives me bonkers is how it feels to me like we have more evidence than ever about the ways that the education system isn't working for a lot of students and the ways that we could improve it. But it feels like those changes don't get made. What is the reason for that? <laughs> You're right that we are in a very hopeful and optimistic time. I mean, we are um, we know more than ever about the the nuances of the human brain that there really is no normal brain. There's a great great quote by by um, uh, Henry H that set out to sort of map the normal brain. 
uh, around issues of behavioral and mental health challenges. And, and he came back and said, you know what, there is no normal brain. There are different brains differing in capacities and abilities. So we know more than ever about that reality. We know more than ever about the ways that folks learn and translating that knowledge into practices is where we're uh, dropping the ball. Mm-hmm. And, and the reasons for that are, I think, multifaceted, but, but, but one of the primary reasons of that is we are still trying to evolve a deeply entrenched system um, around education that, that was designed and, 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 and scaled in the sort of apex of, of normalcy. I mean, the word normal did not enter the langu- English language until the 1860s. <laughs> it emerged within the social context of standardization, industrialization, um, creating mass consumers and mass workers. And guess what emerged at the same time? Our approach to education. Mm. So these two things sort of go hand in hand, wow, that's and bonkers. we're trying we're trying to evolve that system. And there are a lot of folks on the ground uh, evolving that system every day. And I'm I am very optimistic about our potential in, in the next you know five, ten, uh, maybe uh, next year uh, mm-hmm. to evolve that system to be better aligned with what we know about the reality of of human learning and human embodiment. Given the fact that so many kids um, are intrinsically motivated, for example, um, but the system perhaps isn't designed to accommodate that, what are ways that we can cultivate that in our kids, given that the system is designed kind of so they fail? You know, we, I, had, I, had, I, had a, I had a great teacher who was in, in this system, um, and he fundamentally changed my life, and, and he fundamentally changed my life and put me on a different path because he had a ferocious commitment to finding out what was right with every single student, myself included. Mm. Uh, and he relentlessly asked kids every day, you know, what are you good at, what are you good at, what are you good at? Uh, and for me, that was a hard question to ask because all that was answered, because all that was reflected back to me yeah. was what I wasn't good at. You know, and so one day he came to me and he said, hey, you know, I think you're really good at storytelling. I, I've been watching you and you're a really good story, storyteller. And uh, he said, I think you're so good at storytelling, you could be a writer. You know, I was nine years old and I looked at him and I said, are you out of your goddamn mind? <laughs> you know, like, you fool. like I, can't, I can't spell, man. And uh, <laughs> um, he looked at me and said, Jonathan, in my class, screw spelling. Oh, and man. it was a revelation. He said, focus on what you can do, not what you can't do. And I think that's our path forward. You know, for teachers in the system, for parents trying to manage the system, um, we need to relentlessly invest in the good. And we need to make time for it. Because what happens sometimes with the neurodiverse is they get stuck in this remediation industrial complex. You know, like they get pulled out of robotics to go to phonics. Yeah. They don't get to go to drama. They're going to uh, handwriting class. And then after school, uh, we do the same sometimes. And then in the summer, we do the same. Yeah. So I think it's a, a, a an opportunity for us to say, you know what? We're not going to just fix what's wrong. We're going to scale what's right. Yes, I love this. I'm so excited about this plan. Um one thing that you opened my eyes to is this idea of, you referred to it as the super cripple, um, this idea of overcoming differences, the narrative of that. 
and how we celebrate athletes or whoever that have quote unquote overcome their differences. Tell me about that. Tell the listeners what that's all about. You know, I, uh, I, 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 I had a, a very circuitous journey to the life I lived. <laughs> I was told I would, you know, be a high school dropout by my dad. I became a college graduate. I was told that I would, you know, be unemployed. I ended up writing books, and I was told by 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 a counselor that I'd be incarcerated, and I ended up an advocate instead. And uh, my journey took me to to a prestigious institution of higher education, Brown University, Ivy League school, and I wrote my first book, a book called Learning Outside the Lines, while why I was an undergraduate at Brown, and it came out almost 20 years ago uh, with Simon and Sister. And when I started to go around and tell my story to people, uh, I would constantly hear, Jonathan, you overcame dyslexia mm-hmm. or you overcame your problem. And it took me a long time to understand why that didn't sit right with me. Yeah. And it didn't sit right with me because the reality was I didn't overcome dyslexia. What I overcame was dystichia. You know, I, I overcame I uh, being called or made to feel that I was less than in some way. And so when we um, tell people they overcame their disability, we are inherently validating the idea that different brains and bodies are bad mm-hmm. and they should overcome them. And we're inherently putting the problem in the person, not in the ableist context that demeaned the person. So when we celebrate, you know, the achiever, when we celebrate the athlete um, or whatnot or the celebrity and we use the word they overcame their disability, we're inherently validating a set of assumptions about which humans are right or wrong. And on top of that, we're also shaming the people who don't overcome and achieve in that way because then we put the onus on, you know, the person to live up to this unrealistic idea of what it means to be okay. And we're giving people the message with different brains and bodies that if you don't achieve that at often great heroic effort and often at great personal, social, emotional cost, then you're the problem. And so I think it's important for us to sort of challenge that overcoming uh, narrative, uh, a narrative that I I was stuck in for a while, then to replace it with a a celebration of difference, all difference, as valuable in and of itself. I love that. You're the best. Um, Okay, so there was an event that happened in the book where you were accused early on of plagiarizing um, because your essay was so extraordinary. Okay, so you're in there with your, your mom, and this is you've been accused, and you thought you were going to the principal because they wanted to tell you how awesome you are, and then they're like, "Bad news, you are the worst." Okay, so tell me this: what the heck went on in that office? Like, did you tell them you didn't plagiarize? Yeah, I mean, just to give your listeners some more context, um, you know, I had been assigned in sixth grade um, to write a story, and um, you know. I had always been uh, sort of trying to write in the traditional way, and that subsequently was a train wreck. So <laughs> my whole education, you know, who and how was wrong, the theirs weren't there, the horse and house were the same. Uh, it was monosyllabic words because those are the only words that I could spell or find around the room to copy, right? So the sort of view of the of the system was very much of me as somebody who couldn't write. So this is this this story was assigned, 
And I went home and I tried to sort of do the writing the old school way, and I couldn't. And my mom came up to me, you know, a real uh, a transformative force in my life, and she said, you know, Jonathan, you don't have to write it. You can say it. And that was a, a radical moment of liberation. And, you know, I said, Mom, can I really do that? And she said, well, what do you think human beings have been doing since yeah. the beginning of time telling stories? And so I, for the first time in my life, uh, told this story to her, and she dictated it, and she wrote it down. And it was this ridiculously elaborate story. <laughs> you know, I was supposed to write a paragraph. It was 10 pages, et cetera. And that's what I turned in. And uh, and and when I turned that in, I was called to the principal's office, and I thought I was there to get like you know the Penny Camp Elementary School Declarative Prose Plaque Award or something. You know, <laughs> like it was like like I was like high fiving kids as I walked out of the room. <laughs> You're you know? the man. Like, yeah. So I got to this office, and and needless to say, I wasn't getting an award. I was being accused of plagiarism. And uh, you know, frankly, I I, I I didn't respond. You know, oh my, my mom. God. Uh, my mom, who is, you know, a character, she's, she's a spit you know, five foot tall, yeah, five foot tall, high pitched voice, like Minnie Mouse. And she curses like a truck driver. Um, you know, she, uh, she dropped some F bombs and, and we left. And not only did we leave, uh, that office, I ended up leaving school, uh, that day. I just can't, I can't, it's terrible. I can't. why didn't you scream? I didn't do that. Tell me. I was so uh, demoralized, yeah. I, I think, uh, and um, had so internalized, you know, so the message sad. of, you know, I cheated. I, I, that's what I thought. Well, you, they were right. I, I didn't write this. I dictated right. it, you know, and we are so habituated in that. But I do want to fast forward because, unfortunately, uh, I was accused of that again right. in a very different context when I was in college at Brown University, uh, a very similar situation where there was in-class writing and mine was terrible. There was take-home writing. Mine was good. And mm -hmm. I was called into the office of a professor, a very famous poet, and accused of plagiarizing again. That time, you know, that time I channeled my cursing Mickey Mouse mom <laughs> and uh, I advocated uh, for myself. And that was a, a, a seminal moment of of change for me when I could be that self-advocate. I had unlearned yeah. all that um, messages I had gotten around myself, and I could stand up for myself. Well, I'm grateful for that evolution, and but it makes me really sad that twice that was that happened to you in the first place. Um, but I'm just grateful that people like you can help ignorant people like me better understand the neurodiverse world that I prefer to not, you know, acquaint myself with because it's inconvenient. And now you've taught me so much. So I'm so grateful. Um, I have a question that I ask everyone at the end, which is if you have a car, what do you keep in the trunk of your car? Jonathan Mooney. Uh, the, the trunk of my car <laughs> uh, is filled with uh, with uh, uh, things to be active with. Um, I don't sit still. Uh, I never have. I, I never will. And uh, my day is all about uh, uh, moving and doing. Uh, and uh, that's how I live my life. Uh, 
with my my three kids and uh that's how i'll live my life for as long as i can oh my gosh so you stock up you fill your trunk with all kinds of fun toys that's exactly right oh my god you're like the perfect dad i ought to do that my son would be so happy if i did that i get a sitter's high though jonathan like i'm not into all that movement <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the the uh, d- d- we're different for a reason, and we balance ourselves <laughs> right, out. But yeah, <laughs> let's prioritize right. uh, both ends of the continuum and celebrate wherever uh, the human right. beings in our life fall on that continuum. That's beautiful. Okay, so uh, what's the deal? Are you just going to bask in the glory of this book? Or are you going to keep writing, or what's your plan here? You know, it's been 20 years of uh, of, of advocacy, you know, wow. and um, um, and it'll be 20 years, uh, 20 years more. Oh, that's wonderful. You have inspired me, and I really do thank you. So the book is wonderful. I cannot wait till our listeners read Normal Sucks by Jonathan Mooney. And um, do you want them to follow you anywhere? Are you a social media guy? Yeah, so people can come find me on, you know, the, the, all the social accounts. It's the same. It's the Jonathan Mooney, because um, it turns out there were a lot of Jonathan Mooney's out there. <laughs> it's not an ego. It's Good not an ego know, thing. Right. Yeah, and, and uh, people can find me on my website. It's just my name.com. And then I have an ask for everyone out there. You know, um, normal it has power because we give it power. Mm. And when we can stop faking normal and we can share our uh, differences yeah. uh, as far as wide as we are comfortable, we deconstruct the idea that there's a way to live. So uh, I'm asking folks to sort of join me on that movement, share their different, celebrate their different uh, at hashtag normal sucks. And, and when we all do that, we can create a more inclusive uh, world for the differences that we know constitute the human experience. Yay. Thank you so much for coming on the show and please keep up the good work. This podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It. 